selfishly, I had asked for that song, so thank you very much. I love that song. The great words. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Allison. Yeah. Well, as you noticed, the Williams family lit the candles for us today, and our, our candle today is peace. So I've got a question. When was the last time you really felt a sense a true sense of peace in your life. Think about that for a minute. When was the last time you really felt a true sense of peace in your life? And what happened or didn't happen, it can be either one that gave you that sense of peace. Sometimes it's something that happens. Sometimes it's something that doesn't happen that brings a sense of peace. And then how long did that peace last? Was it a day? Was it a week? Was it a month? Was it a year? How long did that peace last? And are you, are we experiencing peace right now in the midst of this service and in the midst of Advent? And a lot of you probably are thinking, what are you talking about? Peace. I've got four numerals for you. 2020. Have you not been around, Craig? not been a lot of peace this year. But in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, and Numbers is maybe not a book you read a lot, but in the book of Numbers, there's God instructing the people of Israel through Moses on all these laws that they had to follow. And you can, as you read that, you can kind of get bogged down and you go, wow, they had, a, they had a law for everything. They had all these rules for everything. And God said, yeah, because you are my people that I have chosen to be a reflection of who I am and what it means to be in relationship with me. And so, yes, I want every part of your life to be guided by me and what I want you to reflect to the rest of the world. The world needs to see that you're different, that you are set apart because you're my people and you are holy. And so he tells them all these things. So in Numbers chapter 6, Moses Ask, God tells Moses, tell your brother Aaron and the rest of the Levites, his son, who led worship in those days. He says, I want them to have this special blessing that I want them to give people. And this is what it says in chapter 6, verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. And be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Now some of you may have heard that before. It's called the priestly blessing. And you thought, yeah, I have heard that before. I didn't know it came from the Bible maybe. But the Old Testament word for peace was shalom. And that was something that you said coming and going. Shalom, peace I give to you. Peace Take with you when you leave. It was something. It was a Hebrew, ancient Hebrew concept of peace rooted in the word shalom, which meant wholeness, completeness, soundness, health, safety, and prosperity, carrying with it the implication of permanence. Peace with you permanently, not just for today, not just for this week, but always take God's peace with you. And it was. Also, and still is for some, a greeting that's coming and going, as I mentioned before. You hear some Jewish people still say that. But what's really interesting to me about that blessing, the Lord make his face shine on you 
and be gracious to you. The Lord turned his face towards you. Is that, think about it, hundreds of years after this, Mary and Joseph would be the first to see the face of God, the face of God shine upon them in the flesh. Think about that for a minute. Now, God revealed himself throughout the Old Testament in a lot of different ways. And you weren't supposed to see the face of God because if you did what? You would die. No one ever saw God. There were some who saw the back of God's back, maybe, in a couple of verses in the Old Testament. People talked to God, experienced God, but no one ever saw the face of God. But when you think about it, when Jesus was born, when he was birthed that night in the manger, in that stable, in that cave, whatever it was, all of a sudden Mary and Joseph were the first to see the face of God shine upon them in the flesh. Think about that. And I can't help but believe they felt this overwhelming sense of peace when they saw that baby come out, the baby that God had told them through the angels that this would be of God and all this craziness that Allison just sang in that, in, in that song. A baby changes everything. And they've been thinking about that all this time. We're not, we haven't been married yet. And, and now you're pregnant and people are talking. And all these things are going on in their lives. But they felt peace when Jesus was actually born. Even in that difficult environment that they were in. And leading up to Jesus' birth, we hear... Zechariah, who was part of the Christmas story, if you think about it, Zechariah was John the Baptist's father, and him and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a baby, and it's like, we're too old to have a baby, but no, this is part, this will be the forerunner of Jesus. And he says this in Luke chapter 1, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Zechariah, as a priest, knows that they need this peace in their world at that time. And there's that word again, peace, that they needed in that culture and in that time. As the shepherds encountered the angel on that night, they're just doing what they did for years out there among the sheep, as they always were. And all of a sudden, they encounter an angel who tells them that a baby has been born this night in Bethlehem. And this is the message they heard. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. They had to have felt this sense of peace when why would God choose us to hear about the face of God being revealed tonight? Why did he choose us? They had to feel this sense of peace. And we read in the Gospels later as Jesus is, is healing various people. Jesus would go from town to town and healing people. And he would say this to a couple of people. Your faith has healed you. Now go in what? Peace. That's right. Go in peace. You no longer have to worry about that physical ailment. But Jesus always threw in something else. And your sins have been forgiven. That's your real ailment. Is restoration with God. Go in peace. But later in Jesus' ministry, we read him saying something that seems confusing or, or even disturbing. In Luke chapter 12, verse 51, Jesus says this. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Matthew's gospel says, no, but I also came to bring a sword. Oh, what? 
What happened, Jesus, when from that night you were born in the manger where you are the Prince of Peace? What has happened that has made you say, I didn't come to bring peace but division? Have you just gotten tired, Jesus? Have you gotten tired of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders questioning you constantly? Are you frustrated with people's lack of faith? Are you overwhelmed with what you see going on, the injustice in the world? What would make you say that? Division, what happened to that glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests? Surely God's favor rests on you, Jesus. Why would you say that? But in the Old Testament, there were a lot of prophets that we read about in the Old Testament. But there were also prophets that we read about in the Old Testament that are called false prophets. And the false prophets, you know what they always prophesied, y'all? Peace. It was always peaceful. Nothing bad's ever going to happen because that was what people wanted to hear. That would bring about peace. They wanted the approval of the leaders and of the people. So these false prophets always proposed peace. They didn't like the prophecy of judgment that the true prophets would proclaim. God is upset with you. You have broken the covenant. There's no justice in this land. You are disrespecting people. You are doing things that cause people all kinds of horrible things in their life. This is not what God has created you to do. You are not being the people God's called you to be, and he's going to bring judgment on us. And the kings that would hear this, the people that would hear this go, why do you have to say those things? They would say it to somebody like Elijah. They would say it to somebody like my favorite, Jeremiah. Why do you always have to be so negative, Jeremiah? And Jeremiah would say, because that's the truth. I can't tell you what God... I have to only tell you what God's told me. I know what you want to hear, but that's not what God's telling me because he sees what's really going on. See, they didn't like the prophecy of judgment. They did not want to change their behavior. They wanted to change the message, and they wanted to change God's standards, but not their behavior. And guess what? The same is true in our culture, isn't it? We don't want to change our behaviors. We just need to change the message, and we need to change the standards. But true prophets argued that peace would never be achieved apart from righteousness and justice. God's people need to display that. And when they don't, God has to call them into account. And in this light, one can better understand what Jesus meant when he said, Do not suppose I came to bring peace, but division. And Paul would write, and I remember singing this, this song, maybe some of y'all, especially if you were in youth groups, the peace of God will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. In Romans, Paul talks about that going all the way back to Genesis. What happened in the Garden of Eden would need God to crush Satan underneath his feet. So judgment on sin, historically and futuristically, must come prior to peace. So the result of Jesus Christ coming into the world, it inevitably brought this division. It, it brought conflict among those who would not believe and accept God's salvation in Christ. Even the religious leaders did not accept this. We know what Savior is supposed to be. He's supposed to be a military, a political king, and he certainly would not be born in a stable, in a feed trough. That's not what the Messiah is going to come and do. And Jesus says, you're missing it. You have no peace because you're missing it. Peace on whom his favor rests, the believer, the one who accepts and trusts in faith, has peace now with God through Jesus Christ. But when we don't accept that, without that belief, without that acceptance, without that acceptance and without that trust, 
There is no peace. There is this division that Jesus is talking about and he saw it. Division between Christ and anything that is anti-Christ. That's why there was division between him and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were anti-Jesus and it caused division. Division between light and darkness, and Jesus was always making that analogy between light and darkness. Division between children of God and children of the devil. What? That sounds so crazy, Craig. Devil, people of the devil. But that's exactly what Jesus says. It's either this or it's that. It can't be this middle ground where we want to play these games. Division between submission to God and rebellion against God. Division in our hearts when we reject the peace that God offers us and to be reconciled to Him. There's this division. So what is peace? If I ask you right now to describe peace in your life right now, what would you say? And all of you would have a different answer. Maybe it would be involved in a relationship, a financial situation, this COVID thing. It would all be different for all of us. But if I said, and I heard a guy talk about this. He said he was at a seminar and he asked everybody, said, I want you to close your eyes right now and I want you to think of the most peaceful place you could be at right now. What does that look like? And so people would describe it. And some people would be, say, I'm at the beach just sitting and watching the ocean. That's peace and no one's around. Or, or I'm at the mountains and I see these beautiful, the nature of God all around. There's maybe a lake there and, and, and no one's around. Or I'm at... Uh, a snow-capped mountain where it's cold and there's snow everywhere and it's just this peaceful white frozen tundra everywhere and no one's around. And as he said, as he asked everybody that told what peace was like, guess what? Nobody was in the picture. <laughs> it was void of people. Have you ever thought about that? If I ask you what peace would be, a lot of you would describe that today as no one being around me for a while. <laughs> we understand that feeling, but here's the interesting thing when I think about the gospel God saw peace never without you and without me. Think about that. He never wanted to be void of us. He wanted to transform us. Not be done with us. That's why he sent Jesus. Because he wanted relationship with us always for now and into eternity. And that's why Jesus came to bring that peace. That we are reconciled to God. Not that God just says, I'm done with all those people and I'm just going to get rid of all of them. No, he wants relationship. My favorite definition of peace I'll share in a minute, but the Greek word in the original New Testament is irene. Irene, which means peace, quietness, rest, to set, to set that at once again. It's, been, it's not been there, but now it is set again, this peace. The coming together of that which has been divided, whether it's relationships or something that's been divided, but now it comes together the way it should be. That's what... Irene means, that's what peace means. But my favorite definition, as I shared a few years ago, probably during Christmas, talking about peace, it says it's the tranquil state of a soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God, and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. Let me read that again. The tranquil state of a soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. Have you ever experienced that? That tranquil state of your soul, assured of your salvation. And no matter what's going on around you, you still can keep that at the forefront of your thoughts. No, this isn't good. But I have this soul-assured, tranquil state of God's got this, even in the midst of craziness. 
And I believe this is what Mary and Joseph felt at Jesus' birth. When they saw that baby come forth, God's face shine upon them. This is what the shepherds, I believe, felt that night when they ran after they got this announcement from angels. It's like, who are we? But we're going to go run and see, is this true? Is this what the angel said? And they went and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. The scripture says, just as they had been told. And they had to have felt that sense of peace, that tranquil state of their soul was assured of salvation has come. It's what the wise men and magi must have felt when they came to Jesus. And we believe they came a year later, but when they went into that house and saw that baby, they felt this tranquil state of their soul that this is the, the, the Messiah, the star we've been following for all this time. We found him. There had to be that peace. This is what Simeon and Anna must have felt. Do you know who Simeon and Anna were? Eight days after Jesus was born, he had to go to the temple to be circumcised. And as they went into the temple, there was an older man there named Simeon who had been waiting for the Messiah to come and God had revealed to him, I don't know exactly how, but he had revealed to him that he would not die till he saw the Messiah. And he sees Mary and Joseph coming in and the Holy Spirit prompts him, that's the Messiah. And he goes up to them and tells them this. Can you imagine those new parents? And I don't know what was conversed there, but they actually handed Jesus to Simeon, and he holds that baby Jesus, and he gets to see the face of God shining upon him. And he says this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Can't imagine how that must have felt to him to see the face of God. And then later, Anna again was waiting, and she too would say something to this new couple and their baby that this is the Messiah that God has promised. And she had to have felt that sense of peace. Now, what I wanted to know is how long did that last, Simeon? How long did that last, Anna? How long did that last, Mary and Joseph, that tranquil? sense of peace. I don't know, was it a week for Mary and Joseph? Was it a month? Was it a year? Was it more than a year? How long was it? I don't know, but I know peace is the coming together of that which has been divided. And if we know anything about our lives, our lives get divided, don't they? There's times of peace and there's times of not peace. And when that disjointed, divided comes together, there is this sense of this is the way it should be. This is the way God intended. Mary and Joseph would have their moments because we know not long after this, guess what? King Herod says, I want to worship this baby. He didn't want to worship the baby. He wanted to kill the baby. And so Mary and Joseph went from this tranquil state of peace to we've got to run to Egypt and hide because Herod wants to kill all the baby boys till he finds the next Messiah. They would also have other moments. Remember when they lost Jesus when he was 12? Was there peace? I thought you had him. I thought you had him. Where is he? And they would find, they would not have peace until they found him in the temple and he was safe. And they were reminded again of that tranquil sense of peace. The shepherds, probably nothing in their lives changed dramatically in a month, a year, five years, did they doubt? Did they go, we know we saw the angels that night. We know what we heard. We know we saw that Jesus. We know that incredible sense of peace that we had. But I feel certain there were times in their lives where they go, is he really here? 
We, didn't, we haven't heard anything. Nothing's changed. We're still under the thumb of Rome. But I also feel certain that they had the memory of that night etched in their minds and their hearts and their souls. And it came back to remind them of the peace that would ultimately come and they would experience from time to time. How about Mary watching Jesus hanging on the cross? Did she have that tranquil sense of peace? Of course she didn't. Her heart was breaking. But Mary did get that peace back. When? When she saw Jesus resurrected, did she? When she touched his hands, when she touched him and said, My son is alive again. When we are in true relationship with God, he is constantly trying to move us from that anxious, fearful state of anxiety where Satan is trying to kill and steal and destroy our faith and the peace to that tranquil state of assurance that no matter what's going on, God has this. He wants to take that away from us. And God says, I don't want you to believe that lie. He's trying to kill, steal, and destroy that peace. But you need to know I'm in control regardless of what's going on around you. You need to believe that. There can be no peace on earth or peace in our souls until we have peace individually with God, y'all. He wants us to have that personal relationship. And that happens through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. All that had to take place. His birth had to take place. His death had to take place for us to have that peace. His resurrection had to take place for that peace to come. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt that one day we will experience the complete peace when he returns. And he is going to return. And a heart that is at peace with God is no longer trying to get our needs met from everything else apart from God. You see, our hearts need to be transformed into a new heart that's at peace with God. And I'm not trying to find my needs physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever it is. I'm not trying to find those in all these other things apart from God. And until we learn that, we can't truly be at peace with God. But when we do, we even see the difficult times that God is there. And Jesus understood this. Sadly, tearfully, as Jesus was going into Jerusalem, you remember on Palm Sunday, this baby boy would grow up to be a 33-year-old man who was going to a cross. And sadly, tearfully, he moved towards Jerusalem, knowing that he was going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And Luke tells us in Luke 19, verses 41 and 42, as he approached Jerusalem... And saw the city, he, Jesus, wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. It broke Jesus' heart to know the salvation that he was bringing, the peace he was bringing, would be rejected by people. Even the religious leaders Many believed and still believe that they can obtain peace and salvation on their own merits. And Jesus says it's right in your midst and you're, you're missing it. And it broke his heart. It broke his heart to know that peace and salvation would be missed as people tried to find what they really needed outside of God and his salvation. And God was doing it right in their midst. And Jesus was heartbroken as he says, how can you miss this? This day, what would bring you peace, it has been hidden from you. So what about us? Are we at peace? Do we really believe what the angel said to the shepherds that night? Peace on earth. 
How are we trying to get our needs met apart from God and all these other things outside of God? You see, we were kind of like the religious leaders and the people, the common person of the Jews that day. The Messiah is here. He's going to be a political hero. He's going to be a political power. He's going to be a military leader. And he's going to take care of all that stuff. They missed it. That's what they wanted. That's what they thought would come. And it isn't what God brought. Isn't how God brought salvation, is it? It was in a baby. And let me tell you, we can be critical of those people in the first century, but lots of us today are anxious. We're angry. We're upset because we think somehow God's going to save the world through military or political means. And y'all, we missed it again. He can use that certainly, but that's not ultimately how he changed and saved the world. It was through a baby who was never a political leader and never a military leader, but a humble servant. Jesus reminded his disciples after his resurrection, he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. They needed to hear that because they had seen him and they thought he was the Messiah. They saw all his miracles and then they saw him die on a cross and they thought it was over. They weren't feeling peace, but when they saw him resurrected, the peace came back. But Jesus came to them on several occasions and every time he said, peace be with you. You need to understand your faith needs to be strengthened because I am leaving and the kingdom work that I've been doing is now going to be yours. And you need to have that peace that no matter what happens, God is with you and saving and changing the world. And Jesus reminds his disciples of that peace because they would need it going forward and he knew that. Probably my favorite time that Jesus speaks peace is when he was exhausted You remember Jesus, and I think it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this. But Jesus has been going from town to town to town, and he walked everywhere. And he's been healing people, and everybody wanted a piece of Jesus. Jesus, heal my brother, heal my mom, heal my dad, heal the, make this, make my brother, give me this, do that. Jesus is hearing all this. And in the midst of healing all these people and trying to teach his disciples about this kingdom of God that was so different than they thought it would be, and getting frustrated when they would think it was political or, or militarily, he would have to remind them, my kingdom is not of this world, it's different. And healing and teaching and having the Pharisees call him into question every time he turned around, Jesus was exhausted. And I see this human part of Jesus as it says he got in the boat and they were sailing the boat and Jesus fell asleep and laid his head on a pillow in the boat. Can you imagine how peaceful that was? Jesus asleep in the boat. And then this storm comes up, and Jesus sleeps right through. You ever slept through a storm, and the rest of your family goes, did you hear that last night? Nope, I was asleep. And you're glad when you hear, nope, I didn't hear anything. How did you sleep through that? I don't know, but it was awesome. It was peaceful. And this is where Jesus was. And they shake Jesus. Jesus, wake up. Don't you see what's happening? We're all going to drown. Aren't you going to do something about it? And Jesus wakes up. And what does he do? Peace, be still. And he calms the waves and the wind. And they just are like awed going, who is this? Who is this Savior who can can say, peace, be still? And all of a sudden, it's still. Who is this? I think in this season of Advent, after the year we've experienced and we continue to experience, and there's angst about is it, how long is this going to continue? We need to be reminded that in the storms of our life, 
that we're calling out right now. Some of you aren't saying it audibly, but in your mind you're going, Jesus, save me. Don't you see that I'm drowning? Don't you see our bank account? Don't you see the emotional baggage that's going on during this time? Jesus, you've got to save us. Are you not even aware this is going on? Like we need to wake him up and tell us what's going on. And he just says, peace, be still. It's going to be okay. All this that's going on around you will ultimately be okay. But you need to be at peace with me because I control that. I died so that you could have a relationship with me forever. And Jesus will calm those storms that rage around us. But we have to truly put our trust in him. And just like he said to the disciples that day, why are you afraid? I think Jesus looks at me and he goes, Craig, what is your problem? Why are you so afraid of this coronavirus? Why are you so afraid of all this stuff that's going over? Where is your faith? Peace, be still. I want to close as we go into our time of communion this morning. But I want to close this morning with a song, Peace Be Still by Hope Darst. Some of y'all know this song or you will recognize it. There's no pictures of her at different angles being cool, singing. It's nothing but God's nature with the words of the song. So I want you just right now to allow God's peace to come over you as we listen to this song and feel the presence of God during Advent. I don't want to be afraid every time I face the waves. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be afraid. And I don't want to fear the storm just because I hear it roar. I don't want to fear the storm. I don't want to fear the storm.
hope that encouraged you this morning. I personally love that song, but when I saw the video and God's creation, and I think I need to say to God, raise up my faith. Raise up my faith, Lord. In this Advent season, that's what God wants to do, reminding us that there has always been periods in history where we are anxious and, and concerned about what's going on in the future, and he's always been there. To bring us through and he'll be through this time as well and we need to take heart and believe that 